Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's stand together, please. And let's read a verse that we have read numerous times in our teaching, our study about the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says this. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now that phrase, walk in the Spirit, that's going to be the subject tonight. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And look in verse 25, if you would please. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Same phrase, walk in the Spirit. By the way, verse, we'll come back to this later, verse 25 it's possible to live in the Spirit and not walk in the Spirit. That's why he says, if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we know it's your word. We don't have any doubt or hesitation about that. We know it's your word. It's your word to us, just as you wrote to these believers these Galatian believers in the New Testament and other passages that we'll look to, you write these words for us. All Scripture is profitable. And we pray that tonight we could learn about your will for us. Lord, this is so, so important that we learn to walk in the Spirit. That we live in the Spirit, that we walk in the Spirit. And so we pray that you'd Encourage us and challenge us and, and point us in a good direction tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to begin by emphasizing that word walk, walking. Um, why does the Bible use that word? Why does it use the word walk in the Spirit? And, it, and the Bible makes this distinction. There's a difference in the Holy Spirit indwelling us and us walking in the Spirit. There's a difference in having the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit. What is the significance of the word walk? And really, the word walk speaks of the totality of our life, the activities of our life, the practical application of truth. So your walk, your walk entails everything that you're a part of. We're to walk in the, wherever you go this week, wherever you go, wherever you are, in your home, on the job, with your children, with your husband or wife, at the place you shop, if you go to the park to walk, wherever you are today, this week, wherever you go, that's your walk. That's where, that's, walk represents everything you are and everything you do, and every part of that is to be done in the Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit. We, there's no... There's no uh, dichotomy we have this part of our life is we run it we control it we enjoy it we love it this part of our life we let God be involved that's not God's will we're to walk in the spirit what we think what we say what our attitude is all of those things is what the word walk is we're going to look at a few other places the term is used I have my Bible marked in Galatians because I'll come back here but turn to the right just one or two pages uh, to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, just emphasizing this matter of walking. In the first verse of Ephesians 5, it says, Be ye therefore 
followers of God as dear children. Now that needs really no explanation. We ought to be able to kind of wrap our mind around what it means to be a follower of God. But I have the word followers underlined in my Bible. And next to it, I have this word written. Mimetus, M-I-M-E-T-E-S. That's the Greek word that followers is translated from. The reason I say that is because mimetus means to mimic, to imitate. We're to be followers of God. We're to become like Him. We're to mimic. We're to imitate God. And notice what he says there in verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk. There's the word again, walk. Walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us. We're to be imitators of God or followers of God and we're to walk in love just like He loved us and hath given Himself for us. We're to walk in love, not just have love in our heart. We're to walk in love. That means we love people. We love our family. We love strangers. We love the lost. We love God. We love, we love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to walk in love. We're to love like He loved. Go to the back of the New Testament, almost to the back, to 1 John. We're going to get a couple of examples of this in the epistles of John. But 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him, the pronoun him, referring to God, abides in Christ. He that, hath, he, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Now, what does that mean, to walk as he walked? Does that mean you have the same stride that he has, that you have the same gait when you walk? No, it means that you live like he would live. You try to be a teenager as you think Jesus would be a teenager. You try to, you try to live like, you try to be on the job what you think Jesus would be on the job. We're to walk as he walks. If you say, if you say in verse 6 he, that you abide in him, then we ought to walk as he walked. I'm trying to emphasize the fact that your walk is everything that you do. He wants to be a part of everything that we do. Turn to 3 John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the 4th verse. 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What does it mean to walk in truth? Does it mean that I lay the Bible down and I walk on it? What does it mean to walk in truth? No, it means we obey the truth. We live the truth. We apply the truth to our life. Sometimes people look at those kind of things and, that kind of, and say, well, that's a, you know, you're taking it too far. No, you can't take it too far. You can't take it too far. God wants, God wants to be a part of every part of our life. So, we're, that's what it means to walk. Go to the left. One other place I want to look as you're going back toward uh, Galatians. Stop off at 2 Thessalonians. Pass 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. Now we command you, brethren. Paul's pretty direct in that. And he's, it's not just Paul, it's Paul and those who are with him, Silas and Timothy. We, he says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly. Now what does it mean to walk disorderly? It means that he's not walking the walk like Christians ought to walk. This term of walking is a very commonly used, I hope you can see that, it's a commonly used phrase. And it means it's our lifestyle, it's it's our behavior, it's our attitude, it's everything that we do. Now, I take the time to emphasize that because our text in Galatians 5, and I'm back there now in verse 16, says, walk in the Spirit. And that's the subject tonight. It is the walk in the Spirit. We're not talking about the indwelling Spirit. We're not talking about, the, we're, we're not talking about sinning against the Spirit, grieving. We're talking about walking in the Spirit. So what does it say in Galatians 5, 16? This I say then, walk in the Spirit... And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a great promise. Isn't it? That's a great promise. Now, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, for one thing, it's very obvious from that verse in verse 16. To walk in the Spirit means you can't walk in the flesh. Right? To walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Maybe everybody here has this down, but if you don't, think about it and and promise yourself you're going to dwell on it later. You cannot walk in the Spirit and walk in the flesh simultaneously. You can't do both. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're not walking in the flesh. And if you're walking in the flesh, you're not walking in the Spirit. You can't do both at the same time. If you're in the flesh, you're not walking in the Spirit. So in order for us, in order for us to win, I'm going to call this winning. If we're going to win over temptation, if we're going to win over the lust of the flesh, it's required, it's necessary, it's essential that we figure out how to walk in the Spirit. It says in the next verse, verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So you cannot do the things that you would. There's this this conflict that, that we have between the flesh and the spirit. And I know we've probably all heard that, at least in some measure. But we really need to understand how to work this out in our life. They're contrary. The flesh and the spirit are in opposition. They're against each other. Now I believe the flesh here is talking about our carnal sinful nature. It's the the carnality that we're born with. It's the flesh. And the flesh, you you don't get rid of that. We don't get rid of that tendency, temptation to sin until we're taken from this life. There's There's no place in this journey that you become sinlessly perfect. Right? We have this sinful nature. And then if you're saved, and only if you're saved, but if you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit and your flesh are in opposition. They're in opposition to each other. The flesh, my flesh is opposed to the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. The flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. 
They're contrary the one to another. Now you may have never felt that. You have may never sensed that. You never saw that in your own life. But you don't have to see it or experience it to know it's true because God says it. God says it. The flesh is opposed. My flesh is opposed to the Spirit of God. Now you ought to, you ought to think about that. Your flesh is not casually indifferent to the Holy Spirit. Your flesh is opposed to the Spirit of God. Right? That's what the Bible says. And, and you didn't have any choice about having flesh. It came as standard equipment. The day you were born, you were made a person that had a bent toward carnality and sin. But not only is your flesh opposed to the Spirit of God in active opposition to it, the Holy Spirit is in active opposition to your flesh. The Holy Spirit is against your flesh. Right? They're contrary to you. I have someone living inside of me that is in a constant battle against my sinful self. Now, you may not sense that. You may not be aware of that. And there could be any number of reasons. Maybe you never just have tuned into it. Maybe you never read this passage and understood what it was saying. Or maybe you're so much governed by the flesh, you don't even sense that war that's going on inside of you. But in either case, the Holy Spirit is opposed to your flesh. The Holy Spirit is not neutral to your flesh. He is not... He is not welcoming to your flesh. You and I may pamper our flesh, but He is not tolerant of flesh. I think sometimes, maybe unconsciously, maybe it's just my imagination, but I think sometimes we tend to treat our flesh like an old friend. Like it's okay. It's okay to live in the flesh for a while. It's okay to, you know... Hang out with the flesh. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is not okay with the flesh. He's not hospitable to the flesh. So, according to this passage, and this, every Christian has this spiritual struggle. You may not realize it, but you're living in a war zone. <laughs> all of us are. It's all of us. It's all of us. Teenagers say, well, it's harder on me. No, it's all of us. We all have flesh, and if you're saved, you all have a, we all have a Holy Spirit that wants to govern and control and direct our life. Whether you're a new believer or you've been saved for a long time. Whether you're young in age or whether you're in your latter years of life. I, I promise you, I battle with my flesh, self, as much today as I ever have any time in my life. You may not believe that, I know it's true. No matter where you are in this stage of life, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a child or a teenager, whether you're involved in ministry or you're not involved in ministry, whether you work in a factory or you work at home or you're in the Lord's work, we all have this in common. Here's something that every saved person has in common. There is a battle goes on within us between the flesh and the spirit. Hold your place here, mark your place in, in uh, Galatians and go to the left to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
Verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now who is this talking about? Them who are in Christ Jesus, right? Save people. They're in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. People who are in Christ Jesus are not supposed to walk after the flesh. They're supposed to walk after the Spirit. If a person says they're saved, and, and that's between them and God, but if a person says they're saved, and they say, well, I'm just, you know, just going to live in the flesh for a while, well, that's not the way God intended for you to live. Period. He didn't, intend, he didn't intend for saved people to live carnal lives. God didn't intend for that. And we shouldn't put up with it. In ourselves, we shouldn't put up with that. Those that are saved are in Christ Jesus, and they walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Drop down a few verses. Romans 8 and verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who are, who's that speaking to? Those that are in Christ Jesus, those that are saved, that the righteousness, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The righteousness of the law. Now what is the, what is the law? The law the law is God's righteous demands and commands. The law, by the way, the law is not evil. It's good. It's righteous. The righteousness of the law. Don't look at, a law, don't look at laws and commandments like they're against you. They're for you. They're good. And God's, listen, God's righteous law is to be fulfilled in us. You've probably heard people speak contrary to that. You've probably heard people say things like, well, the law is just too demanding. It's too harsh. It's unjust. It's impossible to fulfill. Not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, according to the Bible, His righteous demands and law are to be fulfilled in us. We're to live out. We're to live out what God wants for His people. But you can't do it if you walk after the flesh. The only way we can do it is we walk after the Spirit. Look at what he says there in verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I just had this thought. Sometimes I think when I'm preaching, not often, but I just had this thought. I was thinking about the special this morning about being in heaven. Those pearly white cities, remember the special this morning about being in heaven and how there'll be no tears in heaven and no complaining in heaven and no, no what, what else, all kinds of stuff is not going to be there. And I'm thinking, man, what a great place to be. No complaining, no strife. Do you, you believe it's going to be like that in heaven? But as, as she was singing that, here's what I'm thinking. We ought to be becoming more like that in our life down here all the time. Not wait to heaven until people all love each other and get along with each other. Why don't we do that down here? You know why? Because of the flesh. Because of the flesh. 
We're to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. This is our subject tonight. Walk in the Spirit. Let's just think about making this practical. How do we, how do we put this into practice in our life? These verses, verse 1 of chapter 8, and these other verses teach a similar thing. It's one thing to have the Spirit in us. It's another thing to have the Spirit included in everything that we do. You see, having when you got, when, the day that you got saved, the time that I got saved, without me having anything to do with it at all except trusting in Jesus as my Savior, that moment in time, the Holy Spirit moved into my life Amen. and took up permanent residence. He's here. He's with me. And He's with you. And He'll never leave you. He's, he seals you into the day of redemption. That's a positional thing. I, don't, I didn't have anything to do with that happening to me except the fact that I trusted in Jesus. And by the way, if you got saved, He's the one that quickened you. The Holy Spirit regenerated you. The Holy Spirit put life inside you. You didn't have anything to do with that. And I don't have anything to do with keeping Him here. He's here. He's our, as we sang earlier, friend. He's our friend. And He's always with us. But there's a difference in having Him in you and walking in Him. Walking in Him means we're depending on Him and we're yielding to Him and we're trusting Him and we're letting Him lead us, letting Him fill our lives. It's a more practical thing. Walking is a practical thing. Listen to this verse. Colossians 2 says this. Think about this. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord... You received Him, right? As you have, if you hadn't, you ought to receive Him. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. See, it's one thing to receive Him, it's another thing to walk in Him. Walk by faith. Walk in obedience. Walk depending upon Him. Walk trusting in Him. Walk believing that what He says is true. If He's in you, learn to walk in Him. That passage in Galatians 5, we were there a moment ago, we'll go back to it. Galatians 5. In verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's talking about if there's a distinction there. If you live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. If you live in the Spirit, means He lives in you. You're in Christ. Then learn to walk in Him. Those who live in the Spirit are admonished to walk in the Spirit. We've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit over the last several months, several different, about 10 different sermons, lessons about it, how He comforts us and teaches us and leads us and, and gifts us and uses us and, and equips us and fills us. We all these different lessons about the Holy Spirit. But you know what? That's not going to mean anything if you don't walk in Him. If you don't yield to Him, if you don't let Him have His way in your life, there's a distinction those who live in the Spirit ought to walk in the Spirit. Now, I just want to mention this for a moment. You can never walk in the Spirit if you don't live in the Spirit. You can't walk in the Spirit if you're not saved. You have to live in the Spirit first. What does that mean? That means that He has regenerated you. He has birthed you into the family of God. 
He's made you a new creature. He's changed your life. If you're saved, that's that's happened to you. If that hadn't happened to you, you're not saved. Right? You can't live in the Spirit. You can't walk in the Spirit if you don't live in the Spirit. There are lots of people. I'm not saying there's any of them living here tonight, but I wouldn't surprise me. There are people who have come to church. They've made professions of faith. They've, they've come to church services. They've done things in the service, but they've never truly been born again. There's no life in them. You get, when you get saved, eternal life, divine life, God's life comes to live inside you. Are we perfect? No. But he changes us. He changes us. He changes us. We don't have, he said, I just don't think I can become that. You, you let him come in and he'll help you become that. Don't settle for just religion. Don't settle for just have, say, well, I got baptized. I think I'm okay. You're not okay if you haven't been born again by the Spirit of God. Amen. You need to be saved. You can't walk in the Spirit if you don't live in the Spirit. We heard some good testimonies at our house a week or two ago, some time ago. Uh, we had a seniors activity over there about how people got saved. It was encouraging to me. Some of these folks in our church, giving their testimony. And one thing they said was, you know, I, I can't tell you the exact day because, you know, they didn't write the day down, but they know it happened. It's not, it's not as important that you know the day and the hour as you know it happened. Saved by the grace of God. And if you're in the Spirit, if you've been born into the family of God, God wants you to walk in the Spirit. Now, how do we learn to do that? How do we learn to do that? And I'm going to give you just a few practical suggestions. And uh, I don't know how many a few is. Maybe more than a few, but several. But here's, here's, we've got to learn how to do this. We've got to learn how to do how to walk in the Spirit. You say, well, that's just for preachers. No, some of the most spiritual, spirit-filled, godly men, women that I know are not preachers. There's, but they're spirit-filled people. Number one, we have to want to win. We have to want to walk in the Spirit. Nobody's going to make you become a spiritual person. In Romans chapter 7, most of you are familiar with this passage where Paul talked about this conflict that goes on within us. But he said this about the the new man. He said, I delight in the law of God after the new man. There's somebody in me that delights in the law of God. Now, if you don't have somebody inside you that delights in the law of God, it may be that you're not saved. You have to have a desire. You say, preacher, don't, don't you think we all make mistakes? I know I do. I'm fairly certain you do. Sure we do. But I don't want to make mistakes. I want to live for God. I want to serve the Lord. I don't want to, the flesh has never done one good thing for me. The psalmist said, I delight to do thy will, O God. Thy law is within my heart. There has to be a desire. We have to want to win. Number two, I've already mentioned this, but we need to quit looking at the flesh as a friend. 
Most people I know wouldn't want to have a pet snake. But I do know some who would want to. But most people I know wouldn't want to have a pet rattlesnake or a viper. You know why? Because that'd be very dangerous. We need to look at our flesh like it's, it's something we have to deal with on a daily basis, but it's not our friend. The flesh will do nothing, nothing to improve your spiritual life. Nothing. There is no good flesh. There's no good flesh. In that same passage in Romans 7, Paul says, For I know that in me, the Apostle Paul, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. If we understood that, we would not tolerate living in the flesh. If we understood that, we would want the Spirit of God controlling us. But somehow, even in the in the deception of the carnal nature, we think being in the flesh can be fun and be good for us. It's a lie. We need to quit looking at the flesh as our friend. Number three, I think it would help if we can remember that every detail of our lives matter. And I'm referring back to the word walking. Walking. Do you see, it's not just the important decisions that Jesus wants to be a part of. It's all of our life. See, remember, see if you can remember any of these phrases. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. Bringing every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. In everything, in everything by prayer and supplication. Every thought given to Him. Praying about everything. You say, preacher, do you do that? No, but I'm working on it and I want to. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. None, zilch, zero, nada. Let no corrupt, negative, tearing down communication, not one word, come out of your mouth. You say, who wrote that? God wrote it. God's interested in everything. Get out of your head that God is not interested in every part of your life. He's interested. To walk means we're including Him in every part of our life. He wants to be involved in all we do. Amen? Amen? The other day I had a weird thing happen. I'd been working out on the property um, and driving the truck and doing some things. And I can't remember right now what I was doing. This was several weeks ago. And I got in the truck. At the la- one of the last things I did, I got in the truck and drove up to the house. But when it did, the alarm went off on my deal and said that I'm running out of gas. I only had a few miles left. Now, that's weird. Usually it tells me when I got 50 miles left. And you know what I'm saying? It reminds me periodically that... that so it, it was really strange. And I thought, that's weird. And so I let it sit there for a while and went out and got it again and tried it. And it still said that. This time it said, you only have like eight miles left. <laughs> and it hadn't even warned me. I think that 
It's acting like a Chevy or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so the next morning, I think, well, I'm going to go out and get my truck, and it's going to be fine, and I'll crank it up. Sure enough, I'll crank it up, and it says seven miles left. And, and the, this wouldn't be interesting to you, but it's got a weird tank. Like, you can't just take a normal gas can and fill it up. I had some gas. I was try- you couldn't do that. I was out, and it was raining. It's raining. I'm standing out there. It's raining. I'm trying to put gas in my truck. I can't get it to go in there. So I tell my wife, honey, why don't you take the truck and go get some gas? <laughs> no, I got in my truck, and I said, I'm going to go to Stanton. I don't care what it costs. I'm going to go to Stanton. I get in my truck, I'm driving down, now it's six miles, and I'm thinking, this is weird. And then all of a sudden, it just jumps up to where I had like 75 miles. That's what I should have had. So I'm thinking, what is that about? So in my mind, I thought, you know, there must be somebody there I need to talk to. And so I go to the gas station, and sure enough, go to the counter, went inside. I don't normally go inside. But I went inside and there was a lady there. It was a great opportunity to give her a track and talk to her about the gospel and invite her to church. Now, I'm not trying to say I'm a spiritual person. I'm just saying this. God wants to be involved in everything in our life. You say, well, do you think God would make you go to all that trouble, standing out there in the rain, trying to put gas, you can't get it to go? And 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 actually, you know, I'm, I'm kind of freaking out. You know, I don't want to run out of gas. I don't know. But I know this, we live sometimes like practical atheists. Like God may be out there somewhere, but he's not really involved in our life. The point is, remember that every detail of our life matters. So we have three points. We, want, we have to want to win. Even if we feel like we're failing, we have to want to win. We need to quit looking at the flesh as a friend. We need to remember that every detail of our lives matter. And the last one, and this is going to be a little bit longer than those three, we have to work at it. We have to work at it. I'm going to give you some verses as we fly through this, but we have to work. If, we're going to, if I'm going to win over the flesh, hey, the flesh is powerful. If I'm going to win over the flesh, I have to walk in the Spirit. We have to work at it. Why do we have to work at it? Because number one, it's not natural. Walking in the Spirit is not the default position. It's not natural. It's not natural for me to walk in the Spirit. It's not natural for me to deny myself. We have to work at it. It's not natural. There's no such thing as flying through life, putting your life on autopilot spiritually. It doesn't work that way. And it won't happen without a struggle. It's a daily struggle. It's a daily struggle. It may be a struggle when you wake up in the night. It may be a struggle when you head to work. It may be a struggle throughout your day. It's a daily struggle, a weekly struggle, an hourly struggle. You say, why are you saying that? Because you have to work at it. If you're going to do this, you have to work at it. We have to... This is what Paul meant when he said, work out your own salvation. You're saved. Put it to work in your life. We're to die daily. That's what Paul said. I die daily, every day of my life. Not physically dying, but dying to self. I think it's also, if we're working at it, 
and I hope you'll really listen to this, I think it's important that we clearly identify in our own mind, in our own life, what the flesh and the spirit look like. How, does it, how do you recognize it? If my flesh is against the spirit, if God, by the way, if, the, if my flesh is against the spirit and, and the spirit is against the flesh, we, we need to take God's side. If God's against it, so am I. But how can you be against something if you can't recognize it? It'd be hard to go into a war if you don't recognize what the enemy looks like. How do you recognize? Learn to recognize what the flesh looks like. It's prideful. It's selfish. It's lustful. It's defensive. It's stubborn. It's lazy. This is what the flesh looks like. And when we see it in our life, we see that pride, we see that lustfulness, we see that bitterness, we see that stubbornness. When we see it, then we have to act against it. That's what Ephesians and Colossians talk about when he says, put off the old man. When you see it, deal with it. You've got a bad attitude toward your parents, deal with it. You say, well, I'll just leave it up to my parents to deal with it. Why don't you let the Spirit of God, if you're saved, inside of you, work in you to deal with it? What does the Spirit look like? The Holy Spirit's humble and gracious and, and serving and self-controlling and forgiving and loving and holy. He's holy. And when we see that we're not like that, we need to act accordingly. We need to put on the new man. Put on the new man. It takes discipline. I commend these people who sign up for military service and go to boot camp. It's like a picnic, right? It's like an ongoing picnic. It's fun. And we look at them, and we, and we should. We're, we're, we're thankful for them. They're going to get out there and they're going to pay a great price. It's not going to be fun. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to scare Elijah out of it. But you know what? We will, we will think highly as we ought for somebody who will go to great lengths to deny themselves and deny what they want, that they can serve our country and do it nobly and do it adequately and do it well. And yet we won't bring our own lives under control and say, I'm tired of letting the flesh run my life. It takes self-discipline. We've got to take a stand against our own flesh. We can't afford to be careless about our spiritual progress. We have to reckon ourselves every day dead to sin. We're crucified with Christ. My old man was crucified with Christ. I want to yield my members, my, my, my members, my tongue, my eyes, my, my, my mind, my hands. I want to yield my members to God as instruments of, of righteousness. It's a daily discipline. And we have to be consistent. I'm talking about we have to work at it. Walking in the Spirit occasionally is not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done. I've shared this many times before. I'm not even going to tell you the story. But I recall vividly the first time over 40 years ago when someone taught me from the Bible, preaching a sermon like I'm preaching to you, that I needed to deal with my flesh 
and that I, as a new Christian, could be filled with the Spirit of God, and I ask God, as I confess my sins, to fill me with the Spirit of God. I didn't speak in foreign languages. I didn't have any warm, fuzzy feelings. But God let me know in a way that I will never forget that there is a world of difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. We need for God to work in our life. And He wants to work in our life. We have to be consistent. We ought, we ought not to give ourselves, and I hesitate to even use the word, the liberty or the freedom or the, to give in to the lusts of the flesh. A day, even a day. Why would we do that? Is it good? Answer it in your mind. Is it good for you to be prideful and arrogant and selfish? Is it good? No, it's not good for you. And let me tell you, it's not just not good for you. It's not good for anybody around you. We have to walk in forgiveness. You can't walk in the Spirit without experiencing forgiveness. We've taught this for years. One of the wisest things you'll ever learn to do is to immediately, once you recognize you've sinned, confess it to sin, ask God to forgive you, and yield yourself back to God. Walk in forgiveness. If you're not, you're walking in guilt, you're walking in shame, you're walking in regret, and God doesn't want us to walk in any of those things. He wants to walk in forgiveness. If we're, going to, if we're going to work at it, we have to make wise choices. It requires walking in obedience. It makes choices. Choose against the flesh. Yield to the Spirit of God. We have to work at it. The last one I have under work at it, we have to work at it, is we need to quit making excuses. I don't know if this is true, but I would venture to say it's true. If I was a betting man, I'd bet that it's true. That those, those, maybe all of us have done this, frankly, but probably some of us surely have. In our mind, we're convinced that it's easy for other people to walk in the Spirit than it is for us. That's not true. It's not easy for anybody else than it is for you. And if you think, I'm just trying to help you, if you think that you can't be a teenager and be Spirit-filled, or you can't work in a worldly environment and be Spirit-filled, what you're saying is God can't be trusted. The truth is, God gives us all the tools we need to obey Him and please Him. That is the truth. Now, we may not activate it, we may not live for it, we may not make it a serious business of our life, but if the Bible is true, you can walk in the Spirit in the world where you live. In a factory, in your home life, among ungodly people, you can. It's not easier for others than it is for you. That is an excuse that will rob you of the truth and the victory that could change your life. Quit making excuses. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of things that we could make a long list of, that we'd be better if we did this, we'd be better if we didn't do that. And I'm for all of that. And I do that. I preach it. I try to live it. But the only way it's really going to work, the only promise that we have that, that tells us we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh 
is if we walk in the Spirit. And you can walk in the Spirit. Amen? It, I'm not saying you, I'm not saying any, I don't believe this could happen. I don't believe any one of us could say, okay, from now on I'm going to do it. We're all going to fail. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have bad days. We're all going to have things we regret. But we need to come back to center. And that is, we're going to walk in the Spirit. We're not going to give in to the flesh. We're going to walk in the Spirit. Amen? And it starts with being saved. That's where it starts.